Welcome to the Questionably Qualified Podcast covering Game of Thrones. The Queen's Justice aired last Sunday night, so as always, I'm here with Mr. Ryan Maddock. Maddock, how are you, buddy? I'm doing all right this week. How are you doing, John? Doing all right. Uh, we've spent a little bit of time now reviewing this. I've spent way too much time thinking about it during the week, so I think we're ready to go ahead and discuss it. We start in Dragonstone, where Jon Snow and Davos arrive. Luckily, they're not you know, forcing us to watch them paddle across the the ocean there. It was it, it was pretty quick transportation though uh, it was a long a long theme of the show at this point yeah no doubt and Jon Snow and Davos arrive with uh with a small cadre of Northmen and waiting for them is Tyrion and Masande. and Jon and Tyrion share a nice little you know, little jab at each other uh their friendship you know hasn't been dampened since the days that they were I mean really since Tyrion was sort of teaching Jon how to live with the with being a bastard and being something lesser in people's eyes yeah, I mean, that's like episode one through four of season one, I think, is about the time frame. That about sounds the first about right. Third, about the first third of book one, but there's honestly some of the most probably mem- memorable moments in the entire show in some of those first four episodes. I'd say one or two of their conversations would will, would go down as like particularly like top 20, yeah. top 30 like moments in the whole series. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, have, I do have one big question, because when they get there... They confiscate the Northmen's weapons, which is, it's sort of unnecessary. It's it's just a power move. Yeah, it's, Danny's being stupid. It's unnecessarily aggressive. She clearly doesn't understand the North. Because, like, John's not going to attack her among, like, there's there's no point. Right, I don't think you sailed a ship down there to try to kill you. And he can't in your own palace with all, like, it's it's just stupid. It's an unnecessary power move. And then, like, taking the boat, it... It's really unnecessary. Yeah. She's like making it seem like he's her captive and that's just, that that's a bad play. Right. Not usually a way to engender someone who you're hoping to have swear an oath to you. So the other, the other thing I think is interesting is that where the hell is Ghost? Wait. Oh, God damn it. We haven't seen Ghost in forever. John knows that he's, well, he's sailing to go meet someone <laughs> who has pet dragons. You'd think that you'd be like, you know. Well, maybe. Ghost is going to be there in the books, but you see um, <laughs> HBO gives the producers a limited CGI budget. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, that's 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 stupid. They could yeah. have shown him, like, on the boat. Maybe that's the supernatural stupid. symbol of my house would be a useful thing to have in this in this meeting. He's undoubtedly going to, if George R. R. Martin ever gives us these books, he's undoubtedly going to be there in the books, and this is just a victim of the cgi budget that's the okay that was good that was a particularly (laughs) stupid thing i just wanted to complain about it because we haven't seen ghosts in a long long time and it's bothering me Uh, we can add that to things of like small details in this episode that pissed me off yes yes so as they're as they're walking up the the very long uh walkway to get to danny's throne room which you know i feel a little bad for Tyrion there guys got (laughs) short legs that's a long way to walk a lot of stairs yeah, he's got a quick feet. Yep. And and as they're walking up, Jon Snow says, I'm not a Stark. And as he does, a dragon flies by. And it's pretty awesome. And you can see the look on Jon and Davos' face, which is one of those, yeah, we had heard that she had dragons, but I think seeing a dragon just sort of paralyzes you, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what that was also. You're right. The timing with I'm not a Stark, you know, maybe a had overdone 
<laughs> so so yeah, it was very cool, and you see that sort of look on their face, which will come into play later on when I'll have some comments. You know, we've already talked about the ballista. It's going to be hard to take down a dragon with the people that you have. have yeah, in the I army. just I just don't see a, a ballista being that successful. Yeah, I th- I mean I firmly see, and I know that Dan or that Cersei's going to look good at the end of this episode. I still firmly think that this season ends with Cersei being destroyed and that the last season is against the White Walkers. Like, that just seems like the most logical conclusion. I agree. And as they're walking up, we we pan up to Melisandre and Varys, who are sort of discussing what what's going on. Melisandre says she's brought ice and fire together, which sort of nonsensical if you pause to think about it, since she's probably not reading a story called A Song of Ice and Fire <laughs> at the time. It was just an unnecessary nod in the books. It was so corny. It was. And and once again, a red priestess really just makes Varys extremely uncomfortable. Uh, he hasn't really won a, won a play of words with a red priestess, I, I think, ever. And that's that's kind of impressive because he usually gets the better of people in, in conversations. Yeah, he should just stop trying. Um, <laughs> they just keep, like, blowing his mind. Yep. Uh, but I will say the actor that plays Varys, I don't know his name, he has a very good mind-blown facial expression. It's like particularly impressive he does i agree i agree so melisandre says she's headed off to volantis and she says that she has to return and that she's going to die in westeros just like Varys. i think that maybe at some point we'll dive into volantis my guess is that none of this is going to happen until season eight so maybe in between seasons we can discuss what she might be up to over in essos yeah something tells me melisandre doesn't return till like the latter half of season eight yeah i'm i'm with you on that so we get to the big meeting that the the whole show has sort of been building to with, you know, lots of, of storylines. In the meantime, people have risen and fallen. And Jon Snow walks down the long hallway to Queen Daenerys Targaryen on her throne. And again, uh, Danny is doing some hardcore posturing. Uh, you know, long empty throne room, she up on her throne. And then you get Masande's reading of... Of the many, many titles of Queen Danny. Her name's getting absurd. It is. And maybe my favorite part of the episode, John looking at looking at Davos to prompt him and him saying, This is Jon Snow. Pause. He's the king in the north. <laughs> that was um that was that was good. I I mean Danny's name's getting a little absurd. It is. And I think I, I the the best part about that, besides the the sort of like humorous gem part of it I think is it just paints a perfect picture of how different the two are and their approach to kind of everything they're doing yeah I mean Danny tries to use like the trappings of power and Jon Snow just has kind of power thrust upon him right and and, and as Davos explains later he's he's a magnet for for people to put him in that position you know he's he yeah. hasn't gone out of his way to, to seek it and yet you know, he seems to find it at, at all these turns. So the conversation, I would say, goes poorly. Maybe like a C minus. I saw some early. Uh, I saw some Twitter comments that said John Snow must feel like early climate change scientists, and I thought that that <laughs> was a pretty appropriate read on the conversation. It's pretty great, yeah. So Danny, Danny really wants them to take a knee. They go through some fam- some family history. Uh, going all the way back to Torrin Stark, the last king in the north, prior to Rob, I suppose. Rob was in between, but the king in the north before then. They talk about some vows, some oaths that they should swear. They talk about how it's important not to hold the children responsible for the actions of their parents. 
And John tries to change the subject to why he's there, which is to seek support to fight the White Walkers and the Army of the Dead. No one really believes him. <laughs> no. No, they don't at all. It's pretty bad. And I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to criticize John on this. You should probably work on your pitch. Yeah, bring a you got to bring something, man. Like do they not have anything as like evidence? I guess not. Like white right. walkers explode, but I don't know. It it was he was just like by the way they're zombies. Will you come, <laughs> like ignore your enemies and fight them? Yeah, pitch? yeah, like uh just drop it. Not like uh you know, maybe we could do this first and then we'll come do that. Not not to soften them up, you know, magic's been building in the world. You can tell, you know, you've birthed three dragons. Nothing like that. Just uh, I need your help with the zombie army. I mean, Danny, honestly, as irritating it is to the viewers, um, Danny does react in a pretty reasonable way to that sentiment. Like, uh... <laughs> right. I mean, you know, people are people were doubting dragons for a long time. Just recently in the north, they were still doubting dragons. Yeah. And that was 300 years ago? Yeah, that was 300 years ago. Yeah. It's, the zombie armies are 8,000. So, so we're talking uh, a pretty big difference in terms of the believability here. <laughs> pretty reasonable reaction on her part. Varys shows up with some bad news, which is, of course, that their fleet was ambushed at sea by Euron, and they've lost the Dornish and Greyjoy support they had. And she dismisses Jon, telling him that he's not a prisoner yet. Yeah, just unnecessary right there. Just unnecessary hate. Yeah, I mean, they're supposed to be... They're supposed to be here to work on an alliance, right? <laughs> That's yeah. what they both offered on this this exchange. I mean, she's trying to make it clear that she is his queen, but I don't know. It's just a it's just she Tyrion eventually gets her there. It's just a bad way to play her cards, right? So so Tyrion finds John. Uh, he you know seeks him out, tries to sort of start nudging this relationship in the right direction, and you know after a little chat, Tyrion started out the show like most people in the world pretty skeptical of anything magical yes and obviously he's had his mind changed a few times from now and i think you know he he delivers the line in here which is i believe an honest man's eyes more than what everyone believes yeah that's a good line it is and it makes sense you know he's he's known john you know not continuously but he's known him for a long time i think he's looking at it saying why would he be making it up? He, and like he said, he wouldn't come here if it wasn't yeah. true. There's no reason to. Yeah, because it was stupid for John to come there. And so he takes that to Danny, and he convinces her to let the Northmen start mining the dragonglass. Now, I don't know how useful that is. I, I'm not sure how much dragonglass weighs. I have no idea. You know, it's pretty light. I think. I think it's pretty light. I think that's correct. So maybe, you know, if they can get a decent amount of it, the 15 people or so they have could bring back a few big bags of it in the ship and they'll have a, a decent stockpile. Yeah, and they said, and she said that uh, she could have as many men as he needed to complete the task. That's true. So, but that's for the mining, you're right. I mean, it, the, the question remains how much Dragonglass can a ship carry? And, and so it, it's still it's still very helpful, though. And I think most importantly, it at least gives them something to do because otherwise John is just going to be sitting there stewing wishing he had never come because he's wasting time. Which uh, Tyrion points out he's very good at. He is. He's an exceptional brooder. <laughs> that, was, that, was a really, that was a really funny scene by the show creators. I enjoyed it. I agree. It was a nice little treat for everybody who's... I mean, we've been talking about John brooding since he appeared on camera, I think. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was enjoyable. 
Yeah. So we'll touch on the the last sort of small council meeting here before we move on, uh, because we'll get to where it ends up. But Danny, to her credit, wants to do exactly what we what we want her to do, which is unleash the freaking dragons and go burn the fleet that just attacked her ships. Yeah. The, but then her small counselor tells her not to. The small council tells her not to because she could get hit with an arrow, which is a fair point. Like what the fuck, man? I, yeah. what they're missing is that Euron just flies by the dragons at drag or sails by the dragons at Dragonstone (laughs) like four times a week it's just like an interstate highway she wouldn't have to go anywhere right you can do it right over there you just gotta fly (sighs) away the The other thing about this puzzling to me and I think this sort of feeds into the gross miscalculation that we see their forces make is that Danny wants to use the dragons They've come over here with this large fleet, with an army of the Dothraki, with an army of the Unsullied, previously with the Greyjoy fleet and the Tyrell army, and they came in as super heavy favorites, right? I mean, their odds were pretty... You wouldn't get much for, for betting on them. But a huge part of that calculation is the dragons. So if you're not using the dragons, suddenly you're trying to wage a war in a foreign country from one rock where... You know, I have no idea how you feed your army in the meantime. Yeah, they kind of glossed over that part. So when you take the dragons out of your forces, you're suddenly basically even odds against an entrenched opponent, right? Yeah, I would agree. And I think this harkens back to like one of the famous lines of the book and show that Jorah says to uh, Danny, which is Rhaegar fought honorably, Rhaegar fought nobly, and Rhaegar died. Um, like Danny's trying to fight honorably and nobly right now, and that's not going to work. Like I think that Danny's going to end up taking King's Landing, but I think that that thing where we're worried that a bunch of civilians are going to die is, could very likely happen. I, I put a lot of the blame for this on Tyrion because Tyrion should know better than anyone that Cersei, especially assuming that any word of the Sept of Baelor got to this group, yeah, which it would have, which we can just assume it did because a big ass <laughs> church blew up. <laughs> That Cersei is not going to surrender peacefully because she sees no. an overwhelming display of force. No, that's not how, like we literally just saw her refuse to do that. <laughs> yeah, like what they should do, like to be entirely honest, what they like to like the right thing to do would be to do to the Red Keep what they did to what the dragons did to Harrenhal. Exactly, you'd fly right in there and burn it all down. <laughs> you just, you, I mean, you aim it at the Red Keep. A bunch of civilians would die, but like. Compared to, like, a mass attack of the city, it would be marginally more humanitarian, I guess. But, like, I I think that's what could very likely end up happening by the end of the season. Because I do think that Cersei will go away and that Danny will win. But I think that there's been a lot of foreshadowing in both the books and the show to the fact that Danny is not some, like, you know, on the white to black spectrum, like, good to evil. Danny is not, like, some... She's not some, like particularly good character she's like definitely in like a shade of gray area she likes people on fire she's a fan of that she like crucified 300 people at one point in the show right which like john has murdered john has killed people in the show he's like probably the closest to a traditional good character mm-hmm. he's killed people in the show but it's in the books it's only been by beheading and in the show the worst has been hanging like there's been no intentional cruelty yeah he's put more people out of misery than he's killed with any sort of yeah. malice so i think like that matters. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, we'll we'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, but it, 
it's starting to feel like we're going to watch this thing get closer and closer until she's forced to use her dragons, at which point it'll be like, oh shit, she has dragons. Yeah, I I mean, next episode's what? Episode four? Correct. And there's seven, so we got four left. Yep. Dragons probably get unleashed in the next episode or two. I would think so. If it's not next one, it's got to yeah. be the one after. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll move over to King's Landing, a short, a short sail away, where Euron has arrived with his with his captives, and everyone in King's Landing is pretty stoked on it. He 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 sailed his ships down the Riverlands. That's what <laughs> we figured it out. No one saw it coming. Yeah. So he he gets there. Everybody is cheering for him. Everybody's cheering about the the women being in in chains. I'm not entirely sure why. I can't think of a reason that the people of King's Landing, besides just the spectacle of a noble being, you know, sort of shamed in front of them. Yeah, I they don't like Cersei and like I don't know why they hate Dorne. I think, you know, it was just general rabble 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 rabble. And then Yara really gets the short end there because no one even like really notices her. Yeah, she's the, she's back at the end there. I I imagine it's mostly just someone that used to be a high noble just getting shamed and brought low. Okay, fair enough. So Euron strolls right into the into the throne room. Uh, apparently no one, you know, even made him get off his horse and <laughs> presents his gifts to Queen Cersei, who is, I would say, visibly delighted with this. Yeah, she's very happy. She's like a little kid on Christmas. Yeah. She, new people to torture, which is her favorite thing on the planet. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's her new her new love. Without any kids around. After Euron makes some more, you know, advances towards Cersei, and Cersei makes probably the emptiest promise of all time, which is, once the war is over, I'll marry you. Yeah. Euron doesn't believe that, for the record. I agree. So I think that he's going to he's gonna have a little bit of a flip at some point here. You're, yeah, Euron stabbing Cersei in the back could very well be a large part of this season. Right. And he's someone who doesn't play the game at all, so he would do that just out of nowhere. Um, so Cersei has the, the prisoners brought down to the dungeons, and it's time to exact her revenge. I was squirming at this scene because I was worried that something extremely gross was going to happen. You had Kyburn down there, you had the mountain down there, yeah. you had uh, Tyene and Alaria, and the way that Cersei was just drawing it out, I was I kept expecting like Gregor's hand to reach over and just smash smash her head, like the Red Viper's head, and... At the end of it, it, Cersei opts for just the sort of perfect poetic justice event. Yeah, and here's the thing. It was kind of merciful on the scale of things that Cersei would do. And, like, in medieval, like, in the Game of Thrones, like, medieval universe, Cersei's kind of within her rights to do that. Because her daughter, the daughter that Cersei killed is considerably guiltier than Marcella was. Marcella didn't do anything. Right. But this daughter helped plan Marcella's death. So it's yep. like, you know, like Cersei in like the this fucked up universe the Game of Thrones is kind of was within her rights there. Yeah, well, no, I mean, they're, they're all guilty of treason, too. So she could make yeah. it even easier. Yeah, but I just meant like even outside of that, just in like what they had done to her. Yep. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And so she kisses her uh, with the same poison on her lips that Ilaria used to poison Marcella. And unlike Ilaria, which I would also applaud Cersei for, she does not wait for the dramatic effect of the blood dripping out of her own nose to take the antidote. That was uh, that was that was improved. <laughs> I will say that um, 
Kyburn <laughs> the show's a little wavy on how long this poison take time takes to uh kick in. Yes. Because Kyburn said it could be a day, it could be a week, it's hard to tell. But um in the end of two episodes ago, whenever or two seasons ago, mm-hmm. whenever it happened, uh that shit kicked in in five minutes. Yeah, I mean it was like just a few a few moments from sailing, right? <laughs> yeah, it was uh so, so the show's a little confused on that poison, but that's fine. Yeah, you know, maybe it's a uh, heart rate activated. The dramatic effect worked. Yeah, maybe it's like crank. You know, as long as she's got adrenaline flowing, it, it won't <laughs> kick in. But I think I heard that was a documentary. <laughs> Game of Thrones and Crank have a lot of similarities. <laughs> <laughs> Many people are saying <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into something that I know you're very upset about and that I, oh, I share your God. displeasure about. Um, <laughs> after after Jamie jumps, or after Cersei jumps Jamie, uh, very excited after murdering her, her opponents. That was weird. It was. Uh, they're awoken the next day, and there's a representative from the Iron Bank in King's Landing. And now we haven't seen anything from the Iron Bank, I don't think, since Arya killed Marin Trant over in Braavos. I think that was the last time we saw any representatives from there. I think but that's right. for some reason, they've chosen this moment to collect on the debt that has been lingering since mm, season one. Um, yes. This has been kind of a long-running theme-ish in the background. So they come to try to collect some money. And then yes. there's a really irritating conversation. Yeah, so Cersei points out that they shouldn't be supporting Queen, Queen Danny. Because she freed all the slaves. And the Iron Bank obviously doesn't like that disruption in their industry. So for people that don't know, the Iron Bank of Bravos is kind of the central institution of Bravos, almost maybe more than uh, the Sea Lords, who are the people that run Bravos. They collectively run Bravos, but the Iron Bank and the House of Black and White are their central institutions. Um, John, what was the city of Bravos founded on? What concept would you say? Uh, it would be freedom, uh, founded by escaped slaves. Oh yeah, so so it's founded by former slaves that escaped and that um, detest slavery so much that if bankers within their walls invested in the slave trade, they would murder them to death very fast. Yes, it would go very okay. poorly. Um, it is the first law of Bravos that no <laughs> man, woman, or child should ever be a slave, a thrall, or a bondsman. That's good. That's uh, yeah. I'm glad that. And it, they didn't even need to is the part that's really irritating. Right. And for two reasons. There, there, there are two easy reasons for that. One is you could easily have Cersei stall them longer. You could have them, you know, just say, honestly, we, we think you have a better shot of winning. So we're willing to wait for you rather than back Danny. You have an issue with threat being like, yeah, you ha- like you need to take action immediately or we're going to, you know, sponsor someone else. And then she takes Highgarden and then. Yep. But but instead we use this mechanic and then Cersei plays the oh don't worry about it card because she's so positive of what's going to happen in Highgarden. Um that is correct. Yep. So that's not great. Yeah, and, and from from the World of Ice and Fire book, from that day to this, the Sea Lords of Bravos have opposed slavery in all its forms and have fought many a war against slavers and their allies. Seems really unlikely that the Iron Bank of Bravos would invest in slavery. Yeah. A little hard to believe. Mm-hmm. All right, so <laughs> let's go ahead and move on from King's Landing. I think that's, that's enough for, for there. Mm-hmm. We will move up north to Winterfell, where Sansa is running the show. 
you know, I understand they need to demonstrate for us that she's extremely competent, and she certainly is extremely competent. With the very basic nature of her instructions and questions, I've got to wonder what John had been doing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, put leather on the breastplates and, like, let's make sure we have food. Yeah, you got food? Food, Food's important. <laughs> yeah. And, like, hey, let's keep everyone warm. <laughs> right. This, this could be useful. I mean, it, in, in her defense, it's good that she's doing it. It is, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she's crushing it. It's very clear that she's crushing it. <laughs> just just knocking out that low-hanging fruit, whatever. <laughs> a, little, a little worried that no one else had been, but it's very good to see that Sansa's taking care of it. Um, and as she's walking through the, the halls, I, I did like the one little exchange she had with Littlefinger, where Littlefinger, in his very mm, punchably arrogant way, it mentions that you know no one knows Cersei as well as he does, and Sansa interrupts him to correct him, you know, it's pretty great. That was a pretty good one. Is that the conversation where Littlefinger gave like the weirdest and stupidest advice ever? Yes. So that's after after that when Sansa says, I believe it's something along the lines of, "You mean the woman who killed my my father, my mother, and my brother?" <laughs> yeah. That's you, you mean to say that she's dangerous? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was that was an incredible reply. It really was. And so then Littlefinger responds with advice that is. I don't I don't I don't think it counts as helpful, does it? No, it's like it doesn't mean anything. It literally doesn't mean anything. It it his advice is like think forwardly and be pragmatic. Right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's all his advice was, right? Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, it's it's fight every battle everywhere always in your mind. So yeah, it was like literally like Consider multiple outcomes when make like consider multiple future universes when making a decision. Like, oh, you don't say. <laughs> Thanks so much, Littlefinger. That's how human choice works. Okay. <laughs> but like the worst part was Sansa. Like she had like she tried to do like the mind blown face. Like, oh my god, what profound advice. Luckily, <sighs> luckily that's interrupted when uh, when Bran Stark arrives back in Winterfell. Yeah. And then Bran Stark says, like, I'm everywhere and see everything all at once and all possible futures. And you're like, oh, show writers. (laughs) Bit of a parallel there, I think, between. Like, could you just not make, like, you don't need to make it that. (laughs) Right, right. It's unnecessary. You know, I'm thinking about this now because I was criticizing John for not coming up with a better pitch. And when I think back, you know, maybe it's just Stark men in general don't have very good conversation skills. Oh, yeah, because. Brand descri- describing the three-eyed raven? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sansa comes and asks for an explanation. And by the way, they're not in a rush. They're just chilling out in the weirwood. Yeah, just there's hanging nothing out. happening. Like, hey, welcome back. I haven't seen you in, I don't know, like 10 years, whatever. Yeah, wherever we are now. And she asks him, you know, what the three-eyed raven is. And instead of saying, like, well, it's based in magic. You know that stuff called green sight that they always talked about? That the children of the forest had, I got that in spades. It's yeah, it's like a, a crazy hyped up version of that. And some dude had it before me, and then right before he died, he transferred his power to me. So it's like I'm the three eyed raven, but it's like also simultaneously like power that I can impart to the right other person. That's like really not that complicated of a concept to grasp in a world where there's a zombie army. Right. Yeah, I mean that is a constant. Sansa's been preparing for an army of the undead. I don't think she'd be like, you're making that up. 
And then, uh, well, then he all he'd literally have to do is be like, no, I'm not on, like, when you were 10 years old, you wrote this in your diary. And then she'd yeah. be like, holy mother of God. Right. Like, oh, yep, okay. <sighs> Instead, she, he's like, you know what? I'm sorry that you got raped in our castle. Yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead and bring that up as my, my demonstration. Of all of the ways to, to, to like, explain that power or, like, re- maybe, like, in a loving way, repeat something nice that Ned Stark told right. Sansa. Yeah, go with that. Yeah, talk about her and John just reuniting. Yeah, all of those are acceptable answers. Nope. Literally anything you weren't there for that she was there for. <laughs> Would all make your point clear. Instead, he's like, it's hard to explain. By the way, I'm sorry you got raped. Right. <laughs> I gotta put my hand in this tree now, so... I shouldn't laugh at that, but like, oh my god. They like did. They were just trying to make Bran cryptic, and they did it, and like they just went way overboard with that. Yeah. Yeah, so now I'm like, I mean, I don't blame Sans for walking away. I, I, I feel like I'd be like, well, I was excited to see my brother. I don't know if I really want to go visit him today. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> He's gotten real weird. It's like it's like he went out to college and just came back, you know? Yeah, that was uh, that was. Bro, strange. I've seen some things. <laughs> Thanks, Bran. <laughs> uh, one other thing to, to criticize Bran on here, just, just to point it out. Uh, he, he says that he has something he needs to tell John. <laughs> We've watched ravens carry messages before in this show. And we know that Bran can teleport, or can warg into other living creatures, right? Yep, but instead we're going to drag that one out. So maybe the season finale, John's going to learn about his heritage? Yeah, I think that sounds right. I think that John's back at the wall by about the season finale. I think Danny's on the Iron Throne. I still think John and Danny get together. You disagree. I disagree. uh, it's, we're not going to end back in incest. I refuse to believe it. <laughs> I, ju- I just think that you're just you're just not embracing one of the key themes of this show. I, s- I swear to God, if we come back and the show ends in incest and Danny is yelling at people to burn them all, I am going to be so upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope that Danny's not yelling him. That that that's too much. But um, I think that you know I I think that that's going to happen, and then John's going to go back, and then it's just going to be. It's just going to be stupid. But <laughs> Danny still has, like, there's still that third part of the prophecy in the house of... Um, there is. Yeah, so let's, let's go ahead and touch on that real quick, because this one is, is pretty interesting to me. Um, and I'm going to touch on it as well, because I think it has something to do with the mole, potentially. So the prophecy, the prophecy of three, which I think is the easiest name for it, uh, she gets it in the house of the undying. Yes. And they say, three fires you must light... One for life, and one for death, and one to love. Three mounts you must ride, one to bed, and one to dread, and one to love. Three treasons you will know, once for blood, and once for gold, and once for love. Yes. So, you're postulating that the the mount she must ride for love is John. John. Yeah. I'm just not buying it. Who else you got? What about Jorah Grayscale? No, she doesn't love Jorah. Certainly not for looks anymore. (laughs) <laughs> dude's looking a little rough these days but i think it's john and i think that john might ultimately betray her too what about gendry <laughs> what about gendry do you think gendry has some role to play before this is all done if gendry pops back baratheon and targaryen has been been a thing for a long time that's true i don't think gendry has i think gendry's done no i think the reason i say that is i think that there have been reports of like him being in scenes and stuff like that 
Oh, really? Yeah, because otherwise I wouldn't have. I would have agreed with you entirely that he was <laughs> he's done with the show. Okay, but no, I do not agree that it's going to be Gendry. In the books, Gendry, um, at the end of book four, which is the last time we see the Brotherhood with, without banners, that's where he is. That's true. That's yeah. very true. So interesting. We'll keep an eye out for him. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's go ahead and because I'm, I won't agree with you until something actually happens between those two. I, I didn't pick up on any any sexual tension there between John and Danny, as I mentioned before the podcast. John, besides being very handsome, doesn't really ooze sensuality the way that some of the other characters in this show do. Yeah, I think that if it happens, I think that the odds substantially increase if they both ride a dragon. If like John ends up riding a dragon, and the two of them ride a dragon together, I think it would be after that. Which I do agree with you that he's going to end up on a dragon at some point. That's like my hypothesis, but that's like I don't know. That's just a theory that I have. I could be very wrong. I hope. I mean, a part of me hopes that they don't go back to incest, but I've thought that, like since like book two, I've thought that this would very likely end up happening when I realized right. what a song of ice and fire meant. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm committed to my prediction. <laughs> That's fair. We'll, we'll, so we'll flip from the, from the prophecy portion that, that talks about the mounts you must ride to the three treasons you will know. And this is kind of interesting because sort of Deus ex machina aside, the, Tar- the Targaryen forces have experienced sort of a, a string of bad luck and somewhat yeah. remarkably bad luck. That's correct. So we start with Euron correctly attacking in the middle of the night at sea Yara's fleet and immediately attacking the ship that she's on, capturing the, the prisoners he's after. In in this one, we have the Lannister army retreating from Castle Rock before the Unsullied arrive, and then the Greyjoy fleet appearing behind the transport ships to destroy them with pretty perfect timing again. And so the speculation has begun that there is an informant in Danny's camp that is passing information over to the Lannisters somehow. Yes. Do you think that's true? I, I could very likely see it, but it would have to be someone that we know. And of the people that we know, the only logical conclusions would be, number one, would be Varys, but I don't understand why or how. Right. Um, and number two would be Mersandi. Right. Like, who else would it be? No, because it has to be somebody who's, well, A, not dead by now, which knocks out the Sand Snakes, Yara, and uh, the Queen of Thorns. So the only people who who have actually been present for all these planning sessions and would have this information to pass on are Varys, Masande, Tyrion. And Grey Worm, but it's not Grey Worm or Tyrion. So we'll do a quick rundown here. Varys presumably would be the person to give them information, which they certainly seem to be operating with a dearth of. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't make any sense that he would smuggle Tyrion to Danny unless he's playing a super long game where he actually thinks Tyrion is bad at his job. No. And he's trying to. I mean, that that, that gets a little bit too, too I, out there. I, I, I don't feel. think that I subscribe to the mole theory. I actually think it's all deus ex machina. Oh, that's so sad, though. <laughs> I don't want it to be. <laughs> I just, I, it just, none of them make sense. I mean, unless it's Mersan, like it would have to be Mersandi loves someone else that they have captive from way back when. Like they've somehow had something over Mersandi this whole fucking time. 
Right. And I, I would have to go back and fi- remember like when exactly she joined the group to figure out if that was a possibility. She joined the group when the Unsullied did. She was the translator. That's right. So it doesn't make any sense to me, but I Again, like, can't... Again, a super long con. It doesn't... I don't think there's a mole, dude. I know you want there to be. I do. I do really badly. And <laughs> the, the, one of the interesting one of the interesting theories I read on uh, on Reddit, which is full of theories, some obviously more merit, meritful than others, is there is there is that very interesting exchange. And this is why immediately after the episode, I thought it might be Masande, was she has that sort of awkward exchange with Davos, where Davos says, you know, what is that accent? I, I don't think I've heard it before. And she says that she's from Noth. And just ends it there. There's no more elaboration. There's no really anything. Um, so the theory that was that was on Reddit was basically saying, you know, they don't really throw away dialogue in this show very often. Okay. It's kind of curious that she responded that way. And also, the one thing that made, that made me think that that sort of had credence was Davos has probably demonstrated the best judging of character of anyone in the show. Yeah. I mean, he was immediately against Melisandre. He was, you know, gradually, he very much moved opposite of Stannis. The further Stannis drifted from a good path, he immediately took a liking to Jon. Yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't think of this. And so I I read up a little bit more on Noth, you know, because it seemed like it would be very important, obviously, use of my time. And it's a a small island uh, near Sothoiros, so pretty much extremely out of the way. And it, reading a little bit more about it, it gave me a really good idea for how this show could end. Okay. On these islands, there is a, a species of extremely large butterfly. Okay, you with me? I'm with you here. Okay. And these butterflies are very poisonous to humans. Humans that aren't on Noth. Is this real? This is real. Oh my god. <laughs> and when they get that poisoning... Their skin just like sloughs off of their bodies. Okay. So I'm thinking butterfly attack. From Mersandy to Danny. I think Mersandy to Danny and then all of Westeros. <laughs> um, so you, I mean, I if it's going to be anyone, it's going to be her as the spy. If it happened a season earlier, it could have been, it could have been Varys. Because Varys actually supports a completely unintroduced claimant to the throne in the books. We're not going to get into it. It's stupid. Yeah, yeah, we can move uh, past and that. It clearly doesn't matter. But they're not like there's not enough time to introduce a new claimant to the throne at this point. Yeah, so that's very it's true. not. So it's not like it can't be Varys. It just it doesn't fit. It would have to be Missandei. I kind of agree. Which would also like make it sadder and kind of make that like the sex scene like very depressing. That would hurt. It would hurt Danny a lot more if that happened too, right? Yeah. I mean, she's sort of keeping an eye on Varys already. So, okay. Well, we can move on from the mole talk. I've uh, we've gotten the butterflies out there. It'll be it'll be beautiful. <laughs> you were work. You were working to get that in, weren't you? I, I was very excited when I read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So <laughs> over at the Citadel, Jorah, potentially the Mount to Love, no, has been cured of his grayscale. Sam uh, Sam did it on the first shot, and when asked how he managed it, he responds by reading the instructions. I thought that was hilarious. Um, and then he shook Jorah's hand in a nice little gesture. Yes, 
Yes. And as someone who's firmly against reading the instructions for things until I absolutely must, props to Sam. Yeah, I mean, he did well. Uh, Jor, I, I will say Jor didn't look good, but he, he actually looked pretty good considering he had been flayed like two nights earlier. Yes. That was a little weird. Yes. Um, he's definitely looking looking better fast than I would have guessed. It, I think it's the sort of him and Tyrion thing. You know, Tyrion also looks considerably better than he's supposed to in the books at this point. Yeah, they just don't want to show a flayed human being. And so uh, Jorah, book Jorah, could be pretty, pretty gnarly by this point if yeah. this happens to Jorah in the books. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and so as, as his punishment, air quotes punishment, the maester leaves Sam to clean and copy these very old scrolls that are crawling with bugs that eat paper and people. Yeah, I think that there's going to, I think that some of them do need to be cleaned and copied. I think there's going to be some things in there, though. This is a little this is a little reward slash punishment, right? Yeah. I think that there could be like one or two scrolls, and like maybe just one scroll in there that's helpful, but it's also like uh, BT dubs. I do need you to copy these other books, though. <laughs> yeah, but you're not done. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. You get to read this one, but like, but seriously, like, I do need you to copy these, and you weren't <laughs> supposed to do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he mentions that these are extremely old texts, and that's why there's in need of copying. And so I think it's I think there's a good chance here that he knows there's something useful in there to, to Sam or something of interest to Sam, you know whether he believes in what Sam is there for or not. Sam and Old Town better matter, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Like they have to matter. So I don't know exactly what Sam's going to find in there, but there's going to be something. I mean, he wrote he wrote that one note on the Raven that told John about the dragon glass. Yeah, that's helpful. But I mean, that better not be it because. There were a lot of other ways to get John to find out about Dragon Class at Dragonstone. Yes, yes, um, there were. Davos could have mentioned it. Yep. For example, <laughs> Sam could have mentioned it when they realized it was useful, and then Stannis told, told him. him. Yeah. Also would have been okay. So, so let's go ahead and wrap up. But we'll talk about the two battles that that happened here at the end. Um, so Tyrion's plan, which you know, at first I was very upset with how perfectly this went for the Lannister side of things. Yeah, I thought it was a little stupid. I thought it was a little stupid. Tyrion does deserve some blame here for a plan that's really not that great. You're dividing your army with a continent in between. Granted, that could be as little as a day's sail from what we've seen. Hard to say. But that's a pretty risky move right from the start. And the Unsullied successfully attacked King's Landing. You mean uh, Casterly Rock? Uh, Thank you, yes. Casterly Rock. The the other part of this that is a bad idea is that all of the land allies they have and all of the wealth that they have is in Highgarden. Yeah, that's true. This is a tremendous oversight to attack Castle Rock, and it seems like maybe he's going with a more personal attack than a purely tactical attack. I think that's right, and I don't think Danny's going to be very happy about this current outcome. Yeah, I mean, we I think we talked about it in one of the preview pods, and we wondered how much Cersei would care about Castle Rock at this point. And I think we agreed that she wouldn't really care that much. Yeah, it doesn't matter. There's no money there. Right. And they emptied the larders. Um, that being said, uh, the Unsullied are not going to die at Castle Rock. I agree. So the Unsullied arrive there. They use Tyrion's secret passage. They take Castle Rock with more ease than they had expected. They look back over the battlements, and they see, I'm pretty sure it was Euron's flagship attacking their transport ships um that's correct so Euron's back over there now he made it around a continent after getting past 
Danny's place twice. Because <laughs> he had to... Cause, because the guys left from Dragonstone, so we had to go by Dragonstone to get them, and then right. back to Dragonstone to drop them off in King's Landing and ride the horse around. And then he went back away from Dragonstone <laughs> <sighs> with a thousand ships. With a thousand ships. He's um, he's fast traveling. That's what it is. They yeah. have fast travel, like from Skyrim. He just... If if you click the marker on your map, you don't have to fight anyone in between. <laughs> that's smart. That's how that works. He, I don't know why. I, I mean, that's how that's how uh, Littlefinger does it too. I don't know why more characters don't do that. <laughs> so it's, that's it's just so unnecessary. It is. I, it's uh, so dumb. Yeah. Because at first I thought, you know, well maybe they split the fleet. No, just don't. It's that's it's pretty clearly you're on ship. That's there. And that is why I don't think there's a mole. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because if if they're willing, if they're willing to let that happen, then the other unfortunate things don't matter that much. It's true. You don't need a mole when you have Euron Greyjoy and his wizard ships. <laughs> <laughs> so the other reason that that Castle Rock was lightly defended is that the Lannisters moved their army in conjunction with the army from King's Landing down to Highgarden and took Highgarden without much of a fight. It seems because they left it completely undefended. Right. Even though there's an army in the field and no defenses between that army and the field. And, and the all their gold. And food. Yep. So Highgarden is now under oh. Lannister control. Uh, Jamie goes to... Also, where the, where's the Dornish army? The Dornish army has disappeared. Because <laughs> presumptively, they would, even though the Sand Snakes died, they would be the ones holding that line, right? Yes. Well, we've discussed that they've had a little bit of trouble here grasping the uses of Raven Raven messaging. <laughs> I think that maybe when the ships got ambushed, Dorne never found out they were supposed to join the war. <laughs> they're just they're just waiting in formation. Still waiting. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. So, so Jamie goes upstairs to deal with the Queen of Thorns, and she's uh, she's as thorny as ever. It's 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 sad to see her go. I'll pour a little out for her this weekend. That was incredible. They have their they have their nice little bit of banter, and the Queen of Thorns becomes person I don't know twenty seven thousand to mention to Jamie that Cersei has gone bonkers, and as she says, she will be the end of him. Yep, I do think Jamie will actually be the end of Cersei, but that is besides the point. Right, but. When after she drank the poison, yes, the great. I I think that's the best death scene yet. It was pretty great. So yeah, it's after she drinks the poison, and Jamie Jamie got her the poison for mercy, which is just oh, Jamie. Yes, an approach that that Cersei obviously would have disapproved with, and yeah, after she drinks the poison, she admits to Jamie that she was the one behind the purple wedding, the poisoning of, of Joffrey. <laughs> she says, "Tell Cersei." I want her to know it was me, which is just, oh, oh, that's some that's some next level shade right there. It really is. It really is. It's it's hard to beat that. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go ahead and run down. You know what this sort of means for Westeros. Now we'll just do a quick positioning before we get into next week because I think the battles are going to start happening here pretty quickly. Yeah. And so right now we have a, a large contingent of the Lannister army in Highgarden. I don't know if it's the entire thing, but it's certainly the majority of it. It's there under the control of Jamie and Randall Tarley. They, I'm assuming that they're going to be making their way back to King's Landing soon with uh, as much gold and food as they can get their hands on. That sounds right. 
In Castle Rock, the Unsullied are now holding it, but they won't really have a friendly population. They don't really have much interest in holding a castle, but they're stuck there. So they've got to figure out what they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, In the north, they're still just prepping for winter. Uh, Well, not prepping for winter. Winter's here, but prepping for the White Walkers. Mm -hmm. And in Dragonstone, John and Danny still need to work through their issues before they get into the field. But I I, I feel like with these losses, Danny is going to be burning things soon. Yeah, Danny's going to take the field in the next uh, one to two episodes, I bet. It'd be so exciting. Use your dragons. Use your dragons. I think that she's. I think that she's going to. I think that. I don't know where it'll be. I could see it just on High Garden, like, oh, you have those. Like, go fuck yourself. You know that one resounding victory you had with dragons? Yeah, where are the Dothraki screamers? Are they just on? Just, just kicking it. They're confiscating weapons and moving boats. Okay, yeah. <laughs> she should also put the forty thousand Dothraki <laughs> screamers in the field. Yes. Um, just so we're saying, like. There's no way that Highgarden could hold against uh, dragons and Dothraki. Right. Not a chance. No way. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited for next week. Uh, I haven't really watched the next week on yet, but I'm probably going to watch that tonight and figure out what sort of predictions we can make. But until then, uh, thanks for joining me, buddy. And I'll catch up with you again next week. All right, dude. I'll talk to you later.